Welcome to 321 iRelaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman Cohen, the chair and co-founder of iRelaunch, and your host for today. Today, we welcome Catherine Duffy, country manager at AIG in Bermuda, where she oversees a team of finance, legal, compliance, regulatory, and enterprise risk management professionals, serves as chief contact for regulators and other local stakeholders, coordinates with North American product leaders to provide direction to local underwriting teams, and represents AIG in external legislative sessions, Bermuda government, and US Consul General Matters. She has one of the most comprehensive backgrounds in insurance that I've ever seen, having started in the industry in 1986. As part of her nearly 35 years in the field, she, quote, elected to take an eight-year hiatus from full-time insurance leadership roles to raise my children, as her LinkedIn profile states. We will talk about what else she did at that time, and especially how she relaunched back into the insurance industry and rose to the senior role she holds today. Kathy, welcome to 321i Relaunch. Thank you, Carol. I'm very honored to be a part of this because I think what you're doing is so great for women that are trying to find their way back in. Well, thank you so much. We are very honored to have you as our guest and to be speaking with you all the way from Bermuda. Uh, that That's exciting. And just to have this experience of speaking with you because you uh, are an example of what is possible uh, for relaunchers to get to very senior roles when, once we're uh, back at work for a number of years. So I wanted to... Um, I, I, I wanted to start with your early career. I noticed that insurance was part of your business major in college, and I was wondering, how did you get focused on the field so early? Well, Carol, it was actually by accident. My mother died when I was 13 years old, quite suddenly. And um, for a while, mm -hmm. I was quite lost in what I was going to do. And I hid the fact that I was still grieving because um, as a 13-year-old in high school, I was I was a leader back then as well. But once my mother died, people were almost like they didn't want to talk to me because they perhaps they were afraid that right. their mothers were going to die or something like that. So I hid that grief. Mm -hmm. I hid the fact that I was going home every afternoon and having to cook for my family and do the laundry and all of that sort of thing, grocery shop. So, because I, I still wanted to be a cool 13 year old. Um, and mm. then there was this guidance counselor that came to the school probably when I was about 16. And for some reason, she saw me, like a lot of other people didn't really see me. And I opened up to mm. her about what I was going through. And she was actually quite surprised with that. So she introduced me to a guy who then introduced me, who, who saw something in me as well, and decided that he was going to introduce me to this woman uh, called Kathy Lord, who is still in my life today. I call her my mentor mother um, from the age mm. of 17. And she was working at a company called Wilcox Barringer which is, was a, a reinsurance broker. And I, mm -hmm. as a 
as a 17-year-old, had no idea that we even conducted business in Bermuda. I just thought of Hamilton as being a place where you went to shop. And so I mm -hmm. um, showed up at this office and she was staggered that I was sane with all that I was doing um, from a personal mm -hmm. perspective as well as for school. So th they hired me for that summer. And the guy that was the CEO at that time thought that I had a lot going for me and um, then decided that perhaps we sh they should try to help me to get into the insurance industry. And the Bermuda government at that time had done a partnership with Howard University because the majority of the people that were in the insurance reinsurance industry back in 1980 were not Bermudians. So the government was looking for ways to get Bermudians more interested. So they did a partnership with Howard to do an insurance degree. And mm. that is how I ended up in insurance. Had no idea what it was beforehand, except for it being um, available for purchase for homeowners or automobile. So this whole corporate part of it was very, very new to me. And I stumbled on it by, by accident, really. Wow. Well, I just want to comment on the resilience that you must have had as a 13-year-old to experience the death of your mother and then having to have this role at home as in some of these caregiving and cooking yes. for the family roles. And at the same time, you're managing such profound grief as a 13 year old. Yes. Um, wow. I yes. taking a moment to acknowledge the resilience there. Uh, really quite amazing. Um, and then I, I, I also, uh, you know, just the opportunity, obviously people, recognized in you, uh, multiple people recognized in you what, you know, has been these leadership and other characteristics that, that you, you have demonstrated through your life from what I can see in your career path. Um, and, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But before we get more into your personal story and your relaunch, just for our audience's education, can you just, for people less in, familiar with the insurance world, can you just very briefly talk about insurance and versus reinsurance, just so people understand what that is? Sure. Insurance is when you actually go out and insure um, like a company or a person for any sort of loss that they may have. Mm -hmm. So it's us insuring like let's say for in Bermuda we insure quite a few of the fortune 500 1000 companies global companies from around the world mm -hmm. and reinsurance is the insurance of insurance companies mm -hmm. so like my company will go out and purchase insurance for insurance that we sell to other people right so there's are some companies are in the insurance business and some companies are in the reinsurance business Yes. And then you have companies that are in both. But there's a Chinese wall between the two um, because technically we like if we have an, a reinsurance arm, it is it can be viewed as their clients are competitors of ours. Yeah. So they may not want our reinsurance team to look at their book of business because they might be afraid that we would 
take some of their strategies from them. So there is a definite Chinese wall between the insurance and reinsurance sides for that reason. Okay. Thank you for, for, for clarifying that. Uh, so, okay, let's go back to your personal story. So you, you have this insurance related major, you graduate, and then can you please walk us through the first 13 years of your career before you took your career break? Sure. I was fortunate enough to do my underwriting training at the Hartford Insurance, Mm -hmm. and I started out in the personal lines side, which is based, there's a difference between, in insurance as well, there's personal lines and there's commercial lines. Mm -hmm. And personal lines is what most people are familiar with, and that's where where we insure homeowners, automobile, and any personal content, personal contents that people may have or personal possessions. And then commercial lines is insurance of companies. So my I first started out in my insurance career in the personal line side. And a lot of that was because I was chasing a boyfriend. I had the opportunity to go into commercial <laughs> lines and I turned it down because it was going to be in Cincinnati and he was still in Washington, D.C. Ah. And it, I felt like it was closer for me to be in Hartford, Connecticut, being transferred back down to Washington, D.C. because of this boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And in hindsight, I probably should have just gone into commercial lines because that set me back by five years. But the older you get, the longer, the more you realize that everything happens in his time and for you rather than against you mm-hmm. or to you. Right. Got it. Okay. So, so I started out in the personal lines with the Hartford, which was a great um, a training for me because even though it was personal lines, they taught you a lot about um, how you should be in a professional setting. And so from there, I um, moved to AIG in New York, again, chasing a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And um, so the early career was mainly moving around for, for mm-hmm. him. And then I came home to Bermuda for a vacation in 1988. And I, like so many young people, when you grow up in a very small place, you think that you've outgrown it and that it, you are... Um, it's not big enough for where you have arrived or you think you've arrived in your life, particularly in your 20s when you think you know it all. And um, so I came home for a vacation and the same woman, Kathy Lord, who has been in my life since I was 17, said to me, there's a new company that's open and they're looking for Bermudians. Um, So I decided to just on a lark go in just to see what they had uh, to offer and um, I I was told that the senior management would not be there so all I would be able to do would be to drop off my resume so it was the day before I was leaving to go back to USF&G in Baltimore and um, I was in shorts and a t-shirt on vacation so I went to drop off my resume and it turned out that one of the senior guys had come back that day and no one knew that he was going to be back. Mm -hmm. So they said to me, well, you're dropping off your resume and Bob Cooney's available if you want to have a chat with him. And I'm like, but I can't, you know, I had trained with the Harford where in the eighties you wore the Navy blue suits with the ties and, you know, you were so professional. And I'm like, there's no way I can talk to this guy in shorts and a t-shirt. And they said, well, this is the only, 
this is the only opportunity that you've got. So I walked into this interview, Carol, I was 25 at the time. And mm-hmm. um, if you look back at 25, you did think you knew it all, right? So I walk into this interview and I'm like, you know what? This guy is not going to take me seriously anyway. I have shorts and a t-shirt on. So I just, I just, <laughs> he was asking me questions like, what do you want? What do you see yourself doing in five years time? And I said, of course, I'm going to be doing your job, you uh-huh. know? <laughs> you know, because I had the confidence of someone who just didn't think that I was ever going to get the opportunity and didn't care if I got it because I never thought that I wanted to move back to Bermuda. Right. So I was answering him quite with immense confidence, right? And much to my chagrin, three weeks later, I get a call to say that they wanted to hire me. They mm-hmm. wanted me to bring me back to Bermuda. And at first they were only going to hire one person. But then after meeting me, they decided that they wanted to have two trainees. So I, uh, you know, weighed the pros and cons and decided that I was going to come back for a year, mm-hmm. see what it was like. And if it if it wasn't great, I could always move back. Well, I got back to Bermuda and I was completely blown away with what we were doing here. Mm -hmm. I had no idea that Bermuda was so um, relevant to the global insurance marketplace. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I saw submissions from corporations all around the world and I was learning all these intricate details about these companies and what they did and what their exposures were and because the company was XL and it was only 14 of us at that time so the CEO was like everyone was accessible mm-hmm. you know and I had um, done my training in places where the the CEO was five floors up and you know it was a big deal to even see the right. person and here I was in, a, in an environment where the CEO was right there we were all working together and it was com- it just completely blew me away and I realized that I had stumbled onto something that would actually launch me in ways that I had never thought mm-hmm. possible so I decided to stay um, and XL, I stayed there for seven and a half years. It was a fantastic opportunity. I ended up working directly with the guy who was second, second in command, the one who interviewed me, ironically. Oh, yeah. I ended up, and um, he was second in command, and I ended up working for him um, in my last few years at XL because um, he saw, I saw an opportunity for him with him. I saw that he was trying to look more big picture mm-hmm. and didn't really want to do the everyday underwriting anymore. And he was underwriting all the large companies where the premiums were on average a million dollars. So I was being exposed to some of the very large name companies and I loved it. I loved researching them. I loved finding out everything I could about them and walking to the meetings and and questioning them and, and them loving the research that I had done. And it just it just was amazing to me. So he eventually um, just started to step away and let me run the meetings. He would show up, but I would run the meetings. And um, that that was a very early lesson for me as well, because what it taught me was that no one is indispensable. 
because I was at first terrified that people would not have the respect for me as they did for him, you know, because he was, everybody wanted to do meetings with him. And I studied him for five years before I actually started to really launch myself. And I saw what made him successful and what didn't. And I, I took those things on. And um, so, um, you know, clients stopped asking for him after a while because they felt that I was prepared. And, you know, that was a very early lesson for me. So as a result of, of being exposed to the large companies and being well prepared, um, my reputation grew very, um, you know, it, it became very great around the world. So when new a new company came to Bermuda and they were looking to set up as as an insurance company, they were looking for Bermudians to bring in. And apparently my name came up over and over again. So they reached out to me to ask me if I would be interested in coming to them. Mm. And back in the 80s, it was very difficult for women to progress, okay. you know, um, even if you were in a small company. Mm -hmm. And particularly someone like me who had come in as a junior person no, I found that no matter how much you proved yourself, sometimes you were still viewed as a trainee. Right. So um, when I was asking for more in terms of promotion and that sort of thing, I was told that, you know, you needed to be 30 or, you know, you hadn't been around long enough. So you had to pay your dues and all that sort of stuff. So when this new company came and they were willing to give me the position that I wanted, I thought, you know, it's probably a good time for me to leave. And, and one of the guys at the new company, when he interviewed me, um, he said, you know, one day you may actually end up running the office. Ironically, mm -hmm. Carol, this is projected forward. I am now running mm. the office that he said that I will be running wow. 35 years wow. ago. But anyway, so, um, so when he said that to me, I said, um, but I'm not ready to do that. And he looked me straight in the face and he said, young lady, no one is ready to do anything until they're in it. Wow. No one knows whether they can or cannot do something until they're doing it. Don't ever say that again. Wow. And this it was is like, a very progressive person. Yeah. Yeah. And he was, he was all of 70 plus at that time wow. saying that in 1990, thinking, this was 1995. Yeah, 95, 1995. 1995. Yeah. Very interesting. So it was, it was really interesting. Um, and, you know, because I had been in such a cocoon, I always had been told that you had to pay your dues and all these sorts of things. I had sort of second guessed myself in terms of never thinking I was truly ready for that senior position until that guy said that to me. Yeah. And a, a light bulb went off on my head. So I said, you know what, maybe I should come here because he's seen something in me that my other company has not seen because they still view me as a junior person. Right. So I went back to resign and they refused to accept my resignation. Mm. They said that I was the star employee who maybe one day would run Excel and this and the other and mm. threw stock options at me and all these things that um, sounded really good. So I felt that I owed that to them because they had brought me back to Bermuda. So I went back to the new company and I said, I'm going to give Excel, they said to give them six months. So I went back to the new company and I told them that Excel has asked me to give them six months and um, I feel that I owe that to them. 
-hmm. And they said, fine. Um, six months later, to the date, Star the, the new company called me back and said, has anything changed? Mm. And nothing had changed. So I decided I was going to leave. Mm -hmm. And I wrote my the CEO of the company and my um, boss a note that basically said that I'm, I have to leave because I need to know if I built this name on my own merits or if it's just be because I work for Excel. Right. I need to know if I could spread my wings and fly just like you guys have. Mm. I don't want to just be known as the Kathy Duffy from Excel and not know if I had credibility on my own. And that was the note that I sent them. And I did it before they came into the office. And I said, um, I put it on their desk and waited for them to come. And I said, don't try to talk me out of it. And they didn't that time because they understood. And I left. And it was one of the worst decisions I've ever made in my wow, life. Wow. All the people that um, I had resonated with left to go back to either the U.S. or so it was a new crop of people that came in and it was just not the same um, vibe that I was expecting. So I was sitting in my office there and I was like, oh my gosh, what do I do? Because Excel was telling me that that was, I was making a huge mistake, that I wasn't going to like it there. And I'm like, I can't go back there. I'm so embarrassed. And I, you know, and as I was thinking that the phone rang and it was a guy who used to be one who used to run one of the captives for a large energy company mm -hmm. here. And he had left to start a global energy team for Zurich. And he was based in Switzerland, I believe at that time, and wanted me to open the office here in Bermuda. And I'm like, oh my gosh, someone was listening. There is a divine something somewhere. And I said, oh, absolutely, what do I need to do? Where do I need to sign? Right. Wow. <laughs> and so so I ended up um, starting Zurich Global Energy. It was myself and a chief operating officer. And we basically had to find the space. We had to just, we were um, working out of a little office where we had no fax machine back in the day when the fax machine was new wave I remember um, that so I yeah <laughs> so I had to run over to a broker's office to fax everything until we got the office set up and that was probably one of the most um, exposed er um, errors of my career because mm -hmm. the guy that was the CEO was quite progressive actually he would have I was he never really viewed me as a, in you know, in the in those days, sometimes women were viewed very differently. Mm -hmm. He never did that. Like I was all over the world traveling and um, in his executive leadership team meetings. And, you know, it was great. Like it was a great three years. And then I got mm. pregnant. Um, and at that time, I was the most senior woman, Bermudian woman in the industry. Wow. And um, so had... Um, lots of supporters, lots of people that were looking up to me. Right, and watching you probably. And watching, and watching me, yes. <laughs> yes, and and then I get pregnant and I was like, oh my gosh. I mm -hmm. was terrified. I was absolutely terrified when I got pregnant because 
I didn't know how I was going to be. Um, I didn't know how others were going to be once I announced that I was pregnant as well. So, and I waited because I was 35 mm -hmm. at the time. So I waited um, until the 20 weeks, you know, um, because you were considered to be a geriatric right. pregnancy. <laughs> Such yeah. a horrible term, right? I hope they still don't use that, but <laughs> that was the term that they used, right? So I, I waited till the 20 weeks just to make sure that everything was okay before I announced it. And I, Carol, to be honest, I had no idea that I was going to drop out. I didn't think mm -hmm. I was. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and just to add some personal um, tidbits to that, when my mother died, my husband and I never thought we were going to have children. Like mm -hmm. we thought we were going to get married and just hang out. Mm -hmm. um, but I had a breast cancer scare right around the time that Princess Diana was killed. Oh, right. And it made me think about what life was all about. Mm -hmm. And like, is it like, what, what is it? Is it just a career and then you die? And what happens after that? So we went through this huge shift and right. it was then that we decided that we were going to have children. So, and it happened very quickly. The whole wow. getting pregnant, it was almost like the universe was not giving me any time to change my mind. And so we, we had a period where we were talking about it and trying to figure out if we were going to do it. And then, yeah, I got pregnant in 1998. So, mm -hmm. um, you know, so that was a huge shift. So when I did tell my boss, he was actually really excited. He didn't, he didn't blink. He didn't say that's terrible. But what was interesting is when I told some of the brokers and people like that, like some of the guys, you know what they said? It was actually one of my really good friends that I, I'll remind about this. We've been friends probably for 35 years from being in the industry. He said to me, oh, my God, you're a woman. <laughs> he said, great. Oh, I'm not looking forward to seeing you walking around looking like that. <laughs> <laughs> and you know and it just yeah. never you know it I never thought of myself as a woman you know like as a limiting thing as a woman back then because you're just doing what you have to do and because there were so few of us you just put your head down and you just did what you had to do right so it was like oh my gosh like I didn't I guess I was never viewed as a woman in that way right right um right and not because I tried to act like a guy or anything. Um, and, mm -hmm. and actually, one client said to me, the thing I like about you, Kathy, is you're, a, you're not afraid to be a woman. So it's mm -hmm. quite interesting mm -hmm. how people mm -hmm. view you, right? Um, right. So, but, so then um, when I, my son ended up coming 15 days early, so wasn't mm -hmm. prepared. I was thinking I still had time and, you know, most people are saying with your first, you're usually two weeks late. So I was thinking we were going to be late. And so he ends up coming 15 days early, completely turned us upside down. Yeah. And then when he came, he decided he was going to throw up every, all the time, everywhere. Oh. And um, it was quite disruptive. Uh, to yeah. both my husband and to myself because I was terrified that something was going to happen to this child. 
um, particularly since you just threw up profusely and no one could figure out. We had all sorts of tests done and no one could figure it out. So he was probably just a greedy baby who overate. But um, so on the way home from the hospital, I forgot to add that bit, bit in um, because there was a, a woman, a senior woman in the, in the industry who who was on the broken side versus the underwriting side that I was on. And she had had a child maybe about a year or two before me. And everyone was applauding her because she went back to work after three weeks. So I was like, oh gosh, like, what do I, what do I have to do? What do I have to go back after a week just to prove that Mm -hmm. I am serious about this? So I said to my husband on the way out of, and by the way, I had a C-section as well. Wow. Because Raven decided that he was going to come 15 days early, but then turned around. (laughs) Um, So they ended up having to do an emergency C-section because I also had him naturally or was trying to have him naturally, all that good stuff. And Mm -hmm. so I had to have an emergency spine, spinal or whatever that's called. And this emergency C-section in order to get him out and get him out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So I, um, on the way from the hospital, I said to my husband, I have to stop into the office to let everybody know that I'm fine and that I'm going to be back because several of my employees were also worried about whether I was going to come back or not. So I wanted to prove to them that I was coming back. Mm -hmm. So I carry this child, car seat and all, up the steps, like to prove to them that I am ready and okay to come back. Picked up the computer and that's, and when I got home, Raven just threw up and threw up and threw up and didn't stop. And I'm like, and then it came time to uh, put the ad in the newspaper for a nanny so that I could go back to work. And I put the ad in the paper for the nanny and something in me said, I can't do it. Mm -hmm. I just, I cannot have someone else raising my child. And I am not saying this to make other women feel that they're bad for making that choice. Mm -hmm. I think feminism, motherhood, all those things are about where people are in their lives and they have to make decisions that are good for them. Mm -hmm. And I like to qualify that because some people think that one is better than the other when it's not. Mm -hmm. So um, I decided that I wanted to be there with my son. Um, I didn't want anyone else to influence him. And I also felt that if I were to die early, as my mother died with me, I wanted my child to know me for the woman I was versus the career Mm. woman. So that was a choice that I made because of where I was in my life. And um, I cried and I said to my husband, I can't go back. And he was furious because... Um, I am the major breadwinner, always have been in our relationship, except for the eight and a half years that I took off. So for him, it was frightening, Mm -hmm. you know, our whole lifestyle was going to change. But for me, I was like, I came from nothing and it's fine. I can make it work. Like we can, we can make this work. Um, And I then told my boss who was like, but you can, you can't leave. You can, you can work from home. You can do whatever you want. But in the role that I was in, you cannot be absent. You can't work from home. You can't, you have to be present for your, well, back then anyway, it's a little different now, but still, when you're leading an organization, you are setting the tune. You are responsible for, motivating people, keeping people together. Also, 
a touch point for clients, all that sort of thing, which I didn't mm-hmm. think I could do. I I felt that my priority was to be with my child. So I said to my boss, I can't. There's I there's nothing. Thank you for being want, wanting to work with me, but I need to focus yeah. on my child. And I said to my husband that I was only going to be out for a year. Right. Yes, I'm familiar with that. Yeah. You think you're only going to be gone for a year and then you know what happens. Yes, and then <laughs> that year came and went so fast and I mm-hmm. felt so free in a strange way. Mm-hmm. I used to walk with my son all the time. I used to have him on the back of a paddle bike. We would paddle all around. It was like I was seeing life for the first time. You know, the mm-hmm. flowers, you know, you're showing them everything and you see the light come on in their eyes and you realize just how much of a creator you really are Mm -hmm. through their eyes right so I absolutely fell in love with him and myself and life and the simple things and I just didn't want to give it up and Mm -hmm. the dichotomy for me was I felt so content in that life but I was totally afraid of what I was busy because I became like a hippie as well, you know, from this woman who was well put together, I became completely natural and all that good stuff. So I was a completely different person from the put together woman. Mm-hmm. And that shocked my husband as well, because he's looking at me like, who is this? This is not who I married. <laughs> right. So we went through a really rough patch with that as well. I thought at one point we were going to get a divorce because mm-hmm. I was so different from woman that he had been attracted to Hmm. and um, so I kept myself away from the industry I didn't even come into Hamilton for about two years because I didn't intentionally because I did not want I just wasn't I I was although this creative confident side open there was also the insecure businesswoman Mm. Mm-hmm. who didn't know what that meant anymore. Mm-hmm. So I didn't want to blur the lines at all because I didn't want to have to answer people's questions because I didn't know the answers at that point. Right. So I felt like I needed to rebuild myself before presenting myself back to the business world. And then um, it came time, my son was about three, and it came time for him to start going to like a little nursery school because everyone told me that he should do that. And so I did that. And that's when I started exploring the more technical writing side because I started writing. Once I went past my year, my husband was like, okay, so what are you going to do? I started to find ways to earn income and I was writing little articles for the newspapers, you know, fun, spiritual. And I started this spiritual column and that took off and lots of people were um, waiting for that to come out every Wednesday. And Mm. it actually became so large that it scared me Mm -hmm. because I, I didn't want to start writing to what people were expecting. Right. So I stopped writing the column altogether, which I sort of regret actually. But I, you know, you you have to go with how you're feeling, right? Mm-hmm. Because I didn't want the spiritual column I was writing was more about my journey. And then when people started saying that, what about this and that and the other? I didn't want to start writing their journey. Right. So I, I stopped doing that. And um, then when it was time for my son to go to 
um, school, I started writing a more technical column because you got to earn more money. Mm-hmm. And that was my way sort of back into the insurance world because I still had lots of contacts, lots of people who missed me and wanted to know what I was doing. So I was able to tap into them to get story ideas or to interview them, to profile them in the column. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that actually even became quite popular. I started having analysts from um, around the world who would reach out to me and ask me my opinion. (laughs) Like, this is so interesting, right? Well, people, here I am writing out of my house to get my son through school and people think I'm an expert. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So um, it's, it's so interesting. And then from that, I was asked to write the book about the history of international insurance in Bermuda Mm. um, by the insurance industry here. And I mistakenly thought that there was already something that had been done when I agreed to do the project, Uh only to find that there was nothing at all. So I had to create this whole thing from nothing. So I ended up, and, and I misjudged the length of time it would take and how much it would cost because I was getting nothing from the mm-hmm. actual book when it was published. I was just paid a fee up wow. front. And and because I had no idea, I'd never written a book before. I didn't know like what it took. I just said, okay, I could do this. And um, so I ended up having to interview over a hundred people because it was original source material that I was putting together. And I flew back and forth to business insurance in New York and sat on their floor and went through all their magazines because they had been writing about Bermuda since the 60s. Um, And nothing was indexed. So I had to flip through every single magazine. And um, it was a huge learning experience for me. And, and it was amazing. I, I loved it. I loved how the story started unfolding for me um, because what I discovered was every decade the world changed and the Bermuda insurance industry helped with the world to change by allowing companies to insure exposures that wouldn't have been in, insured elsewhere because of our, our speed to deliver products mm-hmm. here because we have a very, very favorable regulatory environment. And also because of where we're located, it's easy for companies to come back and forth here to get their risk assessed and that sort of thing. So I, I discovered that every single decade, the world changed and Bermuda changed with it. You know, here you are doing this project that you got pay this fee up front. You know, it's you're like you're investing a huge amount of time. It's so it's not really paying off at all financially, but you're having this opportunity. You're, you're reconnecting no. with all these important people to do the interview. You have this opportunity to dive in and essentially yeah. you're writing the history, but you're also reading and learning the history and you're seeing these trends. You're like putting yourself in this um, from you're giving, you're, you're providing a vantage point to other people that that is unique to you, that is very comprehensive and historical about the industry. Yes. So fascinating piece there yes. that on some level you would just be thinking, what oh my God, this is like the, like I can't believe I'm basically doing this for free. On the other hand, it did sort of yes. start to be the basis to position you for the future in some way. 
absolutely absolutely and 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 you know what's interesting about it um like the funds ran out right after a year Mm -hmm. and a half and it took me three years to write the book Mm -hmm. but i refused to stop writing it because i felt like i was a part of something much bigger than me and i also felt it was critical for the bermuda insurance industry to document Mm -hmm. because it was fascinating what i found um, to document the place that we actually have in the global insurance reinsurance industry and how we have effectively kept the world going by being where we are. So um, so I just continued to write the book and I said, you know what, even if I'm not making another cent from this, mm-hmm. I have to finish it. And I did. And when it was first published, the criticism was just so horrible. It was, um, you know, if you've ever published a book, mm-hmm. it feels like you've birthed a child when that book is launched, right? So you feel so connected to it. And another mm-hmm. thing I always say, it's almost like you feel like you're naked and everybody's looking at you and they judge you. And there were people that felt that they should have written that book, not ah, me, like some of like, the writers who he, here. Who's she so writing that, this book? Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. And so I got that. So they were, they criticized me so terribly. And my husband, bless his heart, didn't want me to see like one of the worst um, reviews that was done on the book by this woman. And she basically said it was horrible and trashed it and all these things. So I was incredibly embarrassed after that about the book and I didn't want to associate myself with it. But do you know, like the statement that you made about setting yourself up for the future, I now realize that the book was way ahead of its time. And a lot of people didn't quite understand it because I changed it. What they were expecting was like gossip. Mm. And you know, the the horrible stuff that went on behind the scenes. But what I had positioned that book um, was more as a reference book because no one had done anything like it. So I switched it from it being a story to more like a research book right. so that if people wanted to write more in-depth stories about any of the areas in there, they had source material that they could go to for that book and um, many years later it actually became a book that several lawyers used when they went to arbitration because it was a book that they could use about the historical development of Bermuda and the forms that we use and that sort of thing and they actually used that book to teach students up at the Mm. Bermuda College unbelievable and here I was hiding from something because people were like, oh, it's so boring, et cetera. And it's insurance. What yeah. do they think it's going to be? Like, you know? So, and and I wasn't confident enough that right. back then because I was worried about what these people who were the real writers were saying. And But a lot of it was mm-hmm. jealousy, like, mm-hmm. because they didn't get the opportunity mm-hmm. to do it. And who was this non-writer writing this book and that's basically what they try to say that you know it had too much detail because it's 500 and something pages long it's a real Um, historical documentation you were documenting uh everything that was happening wow yes so and that book has you know 
has helped me. Like I've I've spoken on the history of Bermuda. I I knew a lot about the different decades, and you know, it became something that was very good for me as mm-hmm. well. Much bigger than what the original person who asked me to write it thought it was going to be. Like I think that person wanted the limelight, and it didn't happen right away. But now the book is still a book that people um, refer back to. And so so it it took you several years to write this. And then what year was it when it came out? And how old was your son at that point? Well, and and get this. My daughter came in 2003. So I and she became my sense of urgency to get the book finished Mm. because I wanted it finished before she was born. Well, it turned out she came eight days early. (laughs) I was almost at the end of the book. I also um, argued with the hospital because uh, I, my water broke and then nothing happened. So apparently they don't like for you to go beyond 12 hours back then. I don't know if that's still true now. They don't like for you to go beyond 12 hours when your water breaks. So they um, had to induce me. They wanted, they tried to convince me to have another C-section and I refused to do that. And I was 40 at that Mm -hmm. time. So I was real geriatric, right? (laughs) So um, they, they, they basically tried to tell my husband that it's best for me to have a C-section because I could rupture all these things in my body um, because I was so old and um, I had already had a C-section. So I was at risk and, blah, blah, blah. and I'm like, listen, I am not going to have another baby. I want to experience having a baby mm-hmm. naturally. I didn't get to experience it the mm-hmm. first time. Leave that up to me. I'll figure it out if I rupture stuff. So, and a disclaimer again, not for women to go and try this right. if, if you have some issues, right? So I I just knew I was meant to have this child naturally. And um, I did. Like she, they induced me. I had an hour and a half of labor. And then 45 minutes, she was out. And um, so that was a Thursday. She came 12.49 in the morning. On the Thursday, on the Saturday, I was out of the hospital with her on my lap, back to oh, finishing that wow. book. And I finished that book, and um, she was probably about three mm-hmm. or four months, maybe, when mm-hmm. we launched the book. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I had her on my lap all the time, you know, with me typing away, <laughs> trying to get this book done and complete, and because I wanted to finish what I had started. So the book came out in 2003. And um, so I, st- I stayed home for another four years. We moved to France. Um, my husband decided um, that he wanted a different life for a bit. And then when it came down to making this the decision, he, he decided he was going to back out. And I said, no, this is something you want. So we need to do it. We need to, he said, I don't think you're going to like it. I said, well, we're not going to know until we get there. So we got to France and it actually did not work out well for me at all. Um, We are an interracial couple and our son um, looked around and saw that there were no brown people as he called it. And, you know, it, it, it just didn't seem to be a lot of, um, 
people that look like him. And I, as a, for a male, I felt that that was critical. Mm -hmm. Bermuda, there's all sorts of people here. You can see people from many different backgrounds, cultures, races, etc. And I just felt that he would be better off coming back here. So my husband and I, and plus I just didn't like it. And he said, well, if you want to go back to Bermuda, you're going to have to go back to work. And I don't think that he thought that I would, but when mm. you're a mother, your children come before everything. Right. So I got them mm -hmm. back into their schools in Bermuda. That was my first test. And I said, okay, if I get them back into their schools, which were private schools, then I have to figure a way of getting back to pay for the schooling. So I started reaching out to people that I knew. Uh, a lot of the people that I had mentored were now in very senior positions. Mm. And Carol, believe it or not, Dua started slamming in my face. Mm. No one wow. was interested in bringing me back. The comments were, she's been out for too long or, um, you know, just so many excuses. And finally, uh, the woman who I did the underwriting training with in 1988, mm -hmm. she was the one who brought me back. And what I was saying to people was, I did not necessarily want to come back into a senior position. I had been out for eight and a half years. I was a mother. I had never been a mother in the in the industry before. So there were a lot of things that I needed to understand about myself before totally like relaunching. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to come quietly back in. I didn't want to travel. I didn't want to do a lot of the things that are required of um, true leadership positions. So, but people didn't believe that. And, um, you know, even some people were saying things like, oh, she's too ambitious. You don't want to hire her. She'll have your job in two mm -hmm. weeks. What's wrong with ambition, by the mm -hmm. way? And would they say that about a male? Mm -hmm. No, probably not. So I had to really eat humble pie and really um, make myself small mm -hmm. um, so that people would not be intimidated by me. Because one of the things I found out, which was quite um interesting to me was that I have become a legend mm. and people used to whisper oh you should be more like Kathy Duffy or Kathy Duffy was this or Kathy Duffy was that so it's a lot of the young people that were there just knew of me but they didn't know mm -hmm. who I was so you know what I learned is when legend becomes reality that's quite mm. scary to people right? Because there's a fantasy world and there's a real world. So I was um, straddling the two. So, um, you know, several people said, you know, I used to look up to her. There's no way that she could, I, she could work for me. And ah. so finally, um, Beth brought me back and I took about 10 steps backwards just mm -hmm. to get back in. Mm. And I tell you, it was really, really hard to work ac walk across that threshold the first day. Yeah, It was terrifying. It was so many words I can't explain. First of all, I had never really left my children. They were always with me, except for when they went to school. But I was always there to pick them mm -hmm. up, always took them to school. So it was a whole new everything for me. You know, I felt like I was abandoning my children. I felt, um, you know was I ready? Like, would I be able to leave work at five o'clock or would they expect for me to work later? All these things going through my head. Um, and a lot of it you find out is it's, 
you know, you become what you think, mm. right? So I had to really talk to myself. And within probably about a month, I was right back into the swing of things. And it's like I had never left. Wow. And a lot of it is because I had to really talk mm -hmm. to myself, you know, and a lot had changed, but a lot hadn't at the same time. Our industry is basically based a lot on relationships and people feeling comfortable with you and feeling that you have the expertise and, you know, all of those things were still there because I had kept up with the industry with writing the book and the articles and, um, you know, from time to time I would consult. So I had kept up even though I wasn't completely in it. Mm -hmm. So, and plus there are so many skill sets you learn as a mother about, you know, straddling so many different areas of your life and resilience, all that sort of stuff, right? So, and and when you're driven to, um, when you're driven to make it work for your children, you just do what you have to do. So um, I was able to get back in very quickly so within two years of being back in the industry, a colleague that I worked with many, many years before 1995 um, came and set up a new company here and he wanted a name to help him to get back into the market. So he asked me if I would come over and I said, you know what, I'm not really going anywhere here. Sure. So I, so I, I said, you know what, I'm just going to go. I went there and I said to him, but I don't want to travel. I don't want to do all these things flexibility and he said whatever you want you can have it so I went with him um, and within a short period of time once again I was front and center we did really well and then Deepwater Horizon happened which was the Macondo oh, explosion right. in the Gulf of Mexico as well mm -hmm. as um, New Zealand earthquakes all sorts of things went completely wrong and we had only been in business for two years, had not built up enough of a balance sheet to ascend all those losses. So the guy that started it decided that he was going to shut us down in Bermuda. Mm -hmm. And um, XL was really upset when I left and didn't want me to leave, tried, had tried to talk me out of it um, to stay with them. And um, But I, I went. Um, I then realized that there were 16 people who came to join me because they wanted to be with me. And I felt really bad that we were shutting the operation down. So I decided that I was going to make sure that they all had jobs before I took one. Mm. So I used all my contacts to get them jobs and um, they did. So nine months later, I was left there um, without a job and no prospects. Mm -hmm. um, but Luckily for me, Excel created, so my third time back to Excel, Excel created a, a role for me. It was still, it was it's a step back again um, because there aren't very many senior roles that you can step into. And because I felt like I had launched myself too quickly, I, went, I became small again. And, um, and then I turned 55 a uh, year before last. And when I turned 55, I looked at myself and I thought, gosh, you have far less years ahead of you than you do behind. Mm -hmm. Are you really happy with being small for everyone? Mm -hmm. It's time for you to step back into your big girl heels, as I called it. Right. And, um, and as soon as I decided I was going to do that, I got the call from a headhunter from here, for here, to ask me if I would be willing to interview for this role. And I said, mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm. And um, and I interviewed for it, and it is probably 
the best thing that I've done for myself because I am now using all of my skill sets as I'm back to where I was in 1999. It took me nearly 20 years to get back here. But every single one of those years in between helped me to become a much better leader because I got to see all sides of the organization from different positions for organizations. And I got to understand a lot of the frustrations that people have, they get stuck in the middle. And, you know, it's allowed me to be a much more compassionate leader. Um, Also, I know how critical it is for people to have exposure. And I, I preach that, you know, because the more people are exposed, the better they are for us Mm -hmm. as a company. So it's, it's, it's actually made me a much, much better leader. And I wouldn't change anything that I've been through. Oh, wow. What an incredible, incredible journey and story. And thank you so much for sharing it with us and giving us all the personal and professional detail and, and thinking and reflecting. Uh, we're, uh, we appreciate it so much. Thank you. Um, Kathy, before we say goodbye, can you um, tell us what is your best piece of advice for our relauncher audience, even if it's something we've already talked about today? Particularly for relaunch, sometimes you have to go backwards to go forwards. Mm-hmm. And don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing, particularly when you're trying to find your footing. And once you find your footing, that backwards will like catapult you to positions that you never thought possible. Incredible advice. Uh, Kathy, thanks again for joining us today. Uh, No problem, Carol. I really enjoyed it. Thank you so much. And thanks for listening to 321 I Relaunch, the podcast where we discuss strategies, advice, and success stories about returning to work after a career break. I'm Carol Fishman-Cohen, the chair and co-founder of I Relaunch and your host. For more information on iRelaunch, go to iRelaunch.com. And if you like this podcast, be sure to rate it on iTunes and your favorite podcast platform. And be sure to share this podcast with a friend on Facebook, Twitter, and other social media. Thanks for joining us.